Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We are live on location today at the Innovation Factory in the west end of the city, actually just across the highway from our uh, CHML radio studios at uh, Main and Longwood. And uh, this is an annual tradition, of course, uh, the day after the uh, Innovation Factory Gallery and the Lions Lair Gallery. Uh, we set up shop right here at the Innovation Factory, and we'll uh, talk with a number of people on the program today, including uh, the big winners from last night. We'll announce those a little bit later on in the show today. Uh, David Carter from the Innovation Factory is going to join us. Keenan Loomis from the Chamber is going to be here. And uh, another uh, big, long list of luminaries who I'll introduce you to uh, as we go through the program today. Uh, a couple of different wrinkles on the, the gala last night. And uh, we'll cover those off for you, too. But this is a, a great day for Hamilton. Every time we get winners like this and entrepreneurial ideas like this, uh, it's it's great for the city. It's great for them, obviously. And it's uh, it's what's growing this economy. And uh, it's uh, so very important to the growth and the economic growth that we've had here in this community in the last little while. Uh, we're going to talk about that in the first segment of the show, as a matter of fact, uh, about just what the Lions Lair competition has done uh, and the many folks that have been involved in this and supportive of this over the last little while. And uh, to that end, we're pleased to welcome back to the show, actually, a good friend Carolyn Reed from uh, Hamilton Economic Development. Good to see you again. Great to see you, Bill. Uh, Ross Rollins is here from Meridian. Hey, Ross, how are you? Bill, thanks very much. Good to have you. Us. And Paul Fowler uh, from Mesomat. Uh, congratulations on last year. And every, I want to find a catch up with you guys because I haven't talked to you for the longest time. Uh, you had an incredible run last year. Let me start with you. How has the last year gone for you after the, the winner of the competition? Uh, well, it's it's been busier than ever, which is a, a, good, That's a good sign, thing. <laughs> good sign for, for a, a company like ours. I think uh, most notably, we've had a pretty substantial change in the direction of our business. Oh, really? So last time we were chatting, we were really thinking about the idea of using our material, which uh, is a, a plastic wire mm -hmm. that remains conductive when, when you stretch it like a rubber band. So we were thinking of putting that in, in clothing for wearables, and now we're uh, thinking of using that material as a sensor uh, to monitor strain and deformation in materials. So think of uh, measuring things like how an airplane wing is, is bending. But I'm not surprised by that, because when we talked last year, uh, when, the, when you won the competition, you talked about the fact that the, there was a lot of latitude here. I mean, here you had this fabulous idea. And you said there's a lot of ways we can go with this, and you weren't quite sure exactly. I mean, you had one idea, obviously, but obviously, as, as time goes on and you start working with this, and you and your team, really, uh, it, there's all sorts of possibilities. And this is an interesting twist. Did you see this one coming? Yeah, exactly. One of the big challenges for us has always been, exactly as you said, finding focusing on the mm -hmm. thing that is going to be the best fit. Uh, this is something that we, we definitely had as an idea, and it was actually uh, some advice we got from from industry insiders who kind of pushed us in this direction and connected us to relevant people in aerospace, wind energy, diversified chemical, and said, you should really explore this idea further. And there was a lot of excitement when we talked to those individuals. And it was really just uh, and just the market kind of pushing us in that direction, I would say. But that's typical, though, of, of an entrepreneur like you, I mean, to, to actually get involved, but it's, it's making that connection with those people that, that really, I guess, puts you on that track, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's it's really all about talking to people and, and putting your idea in front of the relevant decision makers and getting direct feedback and iterating very quickly, I would say. So we were fortunate to get in front of people that could provide us that feedback and they pushed us in the right direction, and it's been uh, a very positive direction for us. I, I'm imagining it was a pretty short conversation with you and your partners as to, yeah, should we do this or not? 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was more it was more complicated than you think, actually. But uh, ultimately, we knew we definitely knew this was the direction that we needed to go on. We knew that the opportunity was was much larger, and we knew that we had a chance to build a, a bigger business more quickly. For somebody like Meridian Ross, this has got to be just a a very exciting time when you, you you're partnering with this entrepreneurial spirit with people like Paul and, and the winners that we're going to meet a little bit later on. Uh, this economy needs people like that, uh, but these people need people like you to make this thing work. Meridian's pretty happy to be part of this ecosystem that Hamilton's built, and I think uh, Paul and Carolyn can attest to, especially in the last 10, 15 mm-hmm. years, the changes in the city. Uh, it's not just the infrastructure or the institutions that make innovation and small business success possible. It's also a bit of a zeitgeist that comes from just the personalities of the people around you. Meridian views itself as a bit of a different financial partner as far as um, uh, lending and contribution to the community goes. And so something like this wherein we have a lot of great ideas coming out uh, is a perfect opportunity for Meridian to contribute back into the community and help on uh, Hamilton change from its, its, its roots into uh, the future, the 21st century. And the city obviously is benefiting from this in a big way, Carolyn. Uh, the this, this change that has gone on here. It has actually really been organic, hasn't it? It's people like Paul and, and the other folks, and of course the Innovation Factory being a catalyst for all of this, uh, that, that maybe took the city in, a, in a, an economic direction that they may be not even anticipating. With For the longest time, I can remember having the discussions uh, with you and other guys at the Economic Development Department, but, you know, well, we're not big steel anymore. We're not industrial people down on Burlington Street anymore. What are we going to be? We need an identity, and we've developed one, haven't we? Yeah, and it, it took us a while to get past that because mm-hmm. our history is our history and we're proud of it, but uh, it's been a tremendous grassroots effort. It's been a lot of, uh, not just Innovation Factory, but it's been a lot of individuals here in the city, startups themselves, who have taken it upon themselves to build a sense of community uh, with the Innovation Factory weaving through all of that and pulling it all together. So it's, uh, it's a great time for city building and it's uh, everybody's responsible. Because I can remember having a discussion with, and, and the answer was, why can't we be like KW? Why can't we do what they're doing? Because they're doing it. You don't want to do that. You can't replicate something. You've got to, you've got to develop something on your yeah, own. Yeah, and, and we've we've learned that we have to. Our core competencies and where we came from have played an important role in, in what Hamilton is today, especially even in our startup community. KW had that core competency, leveraging the strengths of the uh, of Waterloo and Laurier in technology. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, diversity coming also through our startups. So uh, not just tech, but uh, making things. And uh, as our slogan is, we're a city that makes stuff. So where innovation goes to work. Uh, so it's a, it's a great time for Hamilton. And it all started, uh, well, right in this building. I can still remember the uh, the conference with Peter George, uh, like Peter George from McMaster mm-hmm. University, mm-hmm. Uh, got us all together up in one of the conference rooms upstairs here at the old uh, factory, the Camco factory, and, and talked about this idea of an innovation park, an innovation factory. Mm-hmm. And uh, good luck with that. People have tried that before. But they stuck to it. Uh, and it, it, that was really the seed that was that grew into what we see here today. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. And the people that were there at the beginning, Peter George, you mentioned, so McMaster University, Mohawk College, yep. our, our healthcare institutions, and a number of great community pillars from the corporate side have been there together with us. Obviously, in economic development, we look at uh, Innovation Factory as uh, that uh, sister from another mother, as they say, um, <laughs> because we're in the same business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here to build the economy. We're here to drive innovation and uh, entrepreneurship and employ people and pay taxes. So uh, 
it's a good partnership. Paul, what about the support services? Obviously, we're talking a little bit about the university here. You're a Mac grad. I did some teaching there, too. Did, was was that support there, that encouragement there from, from the staff as, as you were going through to develop something like this? Yeah, the support has been tremendous from McMaster, from Innovation Factory, from the city of Hamilton. I think I can, I can really attest to the fact that uh, without that support, our company would not exist. I think it's really that simple. And you're often celebrated when you win something like Lion's Lair or, or participate in a some kind of accelerator or something like that. But behind the scenes, behind the, all the finalists of the Lion's Lair are the support from the city of Hamilton and McMaster and institutions like that that actually make it possible for people like us to go and pursue the entrepreneurial path. Because it's a, it's a different mindset. It's a different uh, kind of entrepreneur. It's a different kind of business uh, model that's being set up here, and it's it's working obviously uh, with uh, with your company, but with others as well. And it, it's got to be beneficial, Ross, for for Meridian to partner with something like this. In other words, you look at the team around here, and and you play a key part in this, but everybody here is is helping to to carry the load. Uh, to to move Hamilton forward in general, yeah, yeah. yeah. Meridian's recently really reinvigorate the commitment to Hamilton. Uh, and that's not just from the innovation factory and Lion's Lair and things like that, but that's to help build the city up as it goes forward. Uh, we're a big supporter of business from small to the biggest in the city. Um, and it's a sort of thing where we want to be able to contribute, but also advise, help, be part of that team where uh, Paul was speaking of the university helping and fostering and supporting the businesses. Financial assistance is part of that tool that is sometimes overlooked and sometimes is nerve-wracking for entrepreneurs because uh, finances are, are sometimes nerve-wracking. People don't like doing their taxes. Uh, a big piece of advice that we'd always have is to fairly soon on in, in the entrepreneurial process is to speak to a financial advisor. Just take advantage of any of the free advice that's out there. Entrepreneurs are specialists in what they do, whether they're making a product or providing a service, and they're probably not financial specialists. So seek one out. There's a lot of free ones out there. Meridian's one of them. I remember having the discussion, Paul. I, think, I know I did with you and with a lot of the other past winners, too. I said, you know, usually when there's a team like, like you guys have with uh, Mesomat, okay, who's the, the left side of the brand guy and who's the right side of the brand guy? Because you've got to have both to be successful. And oftentimes you're right. The, the innovators maybe not have the business acumen that they really need in this, but it's good to know that you've got people like Meridian that can say, hey, call. They're approachable, right? Yeah, exactly. I think even even when you have a team that is comprised of a, a beautiful mix of business and technical people and people exper with experience in sales, you still lack knowledge. You're always going to have uh, an incomplete set of, of information and you're always going to need help from the outside. Well, and the city's been like that for years now, Carolyn. They've had that sort of assistance for entrepreneurs, haven't they? Because as great as an idea might be uh, and as good at business sense as they think they might have, oftentimes we hear stories like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Uh, and you can warn them about the pitfalls and tell them about the highs and lows and what to expect and how to prepare for it. Yeah, well, we have our Hamilton Business Center, right. which was our small business enterprise center and yeah. when you were on council. Um, and they uh, they help the startups. They help the early stage entrepreneurs. They deal primarily with service-based companies, more so. Um, but then, when you look to our department in business development, we tend to work with the established companies, people we work uh, in bringing investment to the city, uh, and to concierge that process. So. Uh, in economic development, when you put it all together, we touch all stages, and, and obviously working with our community partners extensively. And that list of community partners seems to be growing exponentially here. We, with success breeds more success, and more people want to get on board. Mm -hmm. We. 
Yeah, absolutely. So people want to be part of this. Uh, it's a great opportunity for industry to uh, to support this, and it's also it's great for staff because when you're working with startups and you're working with people who are in a very passion stage of their their career cycle, uh, and I had the pleasure of doing it for many years, starting mm-hmm. the small business enterprise center for the city. Uh, it's 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 a great opportunity. It's a feel good story, and it's a great way to give back to your community and help the next generation of employment. So positive. One of the key things though, Paul, for long-term success for any company really is uh, is a, a talented workforce, people that are cued. Are, are we doing enough uh, with our, our educational partners with McMaster, with uh, Mohawk College, uh, Redeemer, and, and even I guess the, the high school system too, to, to, to bring people into the fold and have them properly trained and prepared for the kind of work and entrepreneur stuff that you guys are doing? Yeah, well certainly I think the talent at, at McMaster is absolutely top-notch. Our team is made up with a disproportionate fraction of, of McMaster graduates. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, <laughs> yeah. So um, definitely definitely the talent here in Hamilton is top-notch. And I think, in fact, it's one of the appealing aspects of building a company in Hamilton is the fact that uh, a lot of the talent from McMaster and Mohawk and other places can be sopped up and absorbed into Toronto and Waterloo and, and other areas. And there's a lot of people who don't necessarily want to leave Hamilton. They want to stay here. They want to build a career here. And uh, I think it's companies that are giving them an opportunity to do that, uh, that that is helping to grow the entire ecosystem here in Hamilton. Well, and I've noticed that. I think I told the story when I was still on city council. I remember knocking on doors during one election in, in, in my old neighborhood where I went to school. And, oh, yeah, you went to school with my son. Or, I said, well, where are they? Well, they're in New York or they're in Chicago or they're in Dallas or they're in Calgary. Said, Did anybody stay here to work? There just weren't that many opportunities. But there's a different atmosphere here now, isn't there, Carolyn? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, not only are we seeing talent move here because they look to us for a quality of life and, and obviously the cost savings, but uh, the employment growth here has been strong. We have the lowest unemployment in the province. We're the most diversified economy in the country. Uh, so indicators as Hamilton as a place to invest are very strong. There's a number of those that look to us for that. So that is putting a lot of great spotlight on us from uh, people that want to live here and people want to, to invest here. When somebody reaches out like this, uh, like a Paul or some of the other people that uh, that will tap on Meridian and say, "Look, we we need some help here." Uh, how do you how do you go about doing that? I, obviously, step one, I guess, is to learn a little bit more about them and what they're doing and, and how you can fit into there and how you can offer that sort of assistance. Right. Uh, an important first step for a small business, whether they're operating or just in the conceptual stage, before they look for financing from a lending institution, mm-hmm. is to put together some information. They have to do their, their due diligence, their research. You can come into uh, uh, any one of our branches at any time to sit down with a small business advisor completely free and just chit-chat about your concept, but they won't be an expert in your field. What they're going to need to look at is some preliminary numbers. What's your market size? What's your competition? How price sensitive are you? This doesn't have to be a research document, a thesis or anything like that. Just something that shows that you've done an amount of research to understand that not only do you have a good idea, but it will also be a good business. From there, we can go on to asking questions about business plans, which is, I remember my entrepreneurial days, it's a scary (laughs) word. Nobody wants to get into that thing at the early stages. They just want to make what they're making or do what they're doing. Um, But that's changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years. There's a lot of business plan information out there that makes it much easier to create this fairly integral document. From there, some amazing lending tools are available right now. The Canadian government has a program called the Canadian Small Business Financing Loan, wherein the government will guarantee up to 85% of a loan up to a million dollars to a small 
Canadian business. Small business means anything with less than $10 million a year in revenue. Mm. With that support from the government, that's a massive opportunity for small businesses to go to a lending institution like Meridian and have a bit of information available and it make it a lot easier to add the integral tool to the toolbox of uh, borrowing onto your, your business structure. And there's that expertise again. I mean, if, it, if, if nobody knew about that federal program, you think, oh, boy, there's an opportunity to last. But, I mean, that, that sort of expertise and that sort of advice is really the foundation for, for what they need to build on, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's where we come from in that we are experts at what we do, like I said before, and we'd like to give that expertise out because it helps build the community. It's profitable for Meridian, but Meridian isn't chasing profits. We want to support our communities. Um, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and big businesses are all a part of the new Hamilton, the, the, the future of this city. And being able to partner with, uh, with all of these businesses and using that, the Canadian Small Business Financing Loan, uh, it's just another tool in the toolbox to make a success for not only Meridian in the city, uh, companies like Mesomat, but also just everything from the innovation factory all the way up to manufacturing and aggregate industries employing 5,000 people. It's all part of the success story. That's why we're here today to talk about this. Uh, Carolyn, Ross, Paul, thanks so much. Continue. Good luck with that, too, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Paul thanks from much. Mesomat, too. Guys, thank you for being here today. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are uh, live at the Lion's Lair. This is the Innovation Factory, of course, on Longwood Road. And uh, this, of course, is the day after the, uh, the big Lion's Lair gala last night at Leuna Station. And uh, the winners of that uh, competition, of course, are going to be uh, with us uh, later on in the show today. But uh, as we've been talking about with our panel, uh, a number of guests that are going to be joining us on the program, uh, if I can paraphrase a well-worn saying here, it takes a community to build a business. And that's basically what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes here, about some of the support services and some of the great agencies that are here year in and year out uh, to help uh, these entrepreneurs as they go through. And to that end, we're pleased to welcome uh, Chantel Broughton from Jan Kelly. Good to see you here. Uh, Aaron Gillespie is here from KPMG, and uh, Alex Ross from uh, Gowlings are here uh, talking about exactly what needs to be done and what sort of support services uh, are necessary in situations like that. And, and as we were talking about with our panelists, and uh, actually one of our last uh, winners here, Paul Fowler, from, uh, who was the big winner last year, Chantel, uh, it's amazing what you don't know when you start a business. And it's uh, also gratifying, I guess, to know that there are agencies like yours that can say, well, wait a second, sit down and talk with us. We can help you here. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that uh, it's it's all about learning what what it is you don't know. And and partners like uh, Gowling, KPMG, and Jan Kelly are are, are committed to trying to uh, help uh, entrepreneurs see some some landmines before they hit them and uh, get out in front of those things so that that they can grow and scale their business successfully. The legal aspect of this uh, can be rather daunting uh, for anybody, uh, whether they've been in business for 10 years or 10 minutes. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's, it's the old thing about, you know, oh, gee, I didn't know I had to do that. Oh, I didn't know I had to get that form. I did, oh, gee, I'm not allowed to do that. Uh, legal advice, uh, ongoing legal advice plays a key role in this. And uh, yes, I have to definitely echo what Chantel said, that uh, you want to watch out for those landmines. And one of the things that a wise American lawyer once said is that if somebody tells you, you know, I think you need a lawyer, it's probably a sign that you needed one a lot earlier than that. And you're exactly correct. There's a lot of things that are out there that are pitfalls that people may not know, particularly as we enter the more web-based era. There's a lot of rules and regulations that apply not just locally but internationally with respect to setting up an online business or online aspects of the business. And it's very easy without proper legal advice to suddenly find yourself outside of compliance and 
in a lot of trouble. There may be licenses that you need for a particular kind of business. There's contracting arrangements. These are not particularly difficult to do if you take them on early. It's a question of identifying those things that you need to do and doing them early enough that you don't wind up stepping on a landmine, as Chantel said. The other aspect of this, though, this is this is not like 30, 40 years ago when you're going to set up a little local business here in Hamilton. He said, well, all I really need to know about are the bylaws. and things. Almost everything is international just by the nature of, of the way business is done these days. That's correct. And one of the things that is excellent about our ability to help is we've got an international law firm. So we have offices not only throughout Canada, but across Europe and within the Middle East, as well as in China. So almost any international aspect of your business is something that we can help with. Just for example, we have clients who are entering into contracts, but they're not governed by Canadian law. They might be governed by UK law, or they might be governed by French law. Well, we have an office in Paris, we have an office in London, so we can help you make sure that you're able to get the advice you need on the particular jurisdictions in which you're doing business. You might have a what's called a GDPR, which is the European regulation governing privacy, particularly online. That's something else that we're able to advise you on so that you don't find yourself facing a very stiff fine before a European administrative tribunal. And I think as it relates to uh, growing businesses globally, it's, it's also about helping entrepreneurs scale faster and, and what we know is there are so few barriers to entry today that uh, you know there are so many options. It's about choosing what you know which path will help me get to the next level faster. And I I think that's one of the things that that we're really committed to doing because again there's there's a million ways to market your business to uh, sell your business and 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 it's all about figuring out how can I get to the next level to the next gas station faster. Uh, and you may not even know which door to go through. I mean, that's got to be part of it. And they're going to look at something like, okay, I'm just starting up here. I haven't really been in business that long. A big company like KPMG, they wouldn't be interested in me. But uh, that's that's how KPMG became a big company, by dealing with small businesses and, and helping them become larger businesses. Yeah, and, and that's consistent with our, our marketing Canada, right? I mean, people think of these big companies and whatnot, but really we're an economy made up and driven by small businesses and so KPMG is certainly committed to small businesses and that's the bulk of the work we do is with small business clients so we're here to help small businesses grow and and get started and that's what the innovation factor is all about and that certainly is the role that we're committed to play. Aaron when they come knocking on your door is there a template that you follow you say oh this is what you guys want to do well well here's a plan obviously I think that as we've talked about with a number of the other support agencies here uh, you've got to have a conversation. You've got to find out what they're all about. And I would imagine you tailor a plan specifically for that business then, that's which may not be just like the one that the guy who was there 10 minutes before. That's right. My, my job would be a lot easier if there was a template, but <laughs> unfortunately that's not the way it goes. Everybody's facts are specific and different and everybody has different situations. So yeah, it, like you said, Bill, it's important to sit down, understand what the business is all about, where they're going, what their goals are, and then helping them tailor something to their needs. Absolutely. How how open are they when they when they talk to guys like you, Aaron, and, and or Alex or Chantel? Uh, because you've got this concept, you've got this idea, and probably the entrepreneurs themselves probably have a pretty good idea where they want to go. Uh, and at some point during some of these conversations, you may have to say, uh, no, not that way, mm-hmm. uh, this way. Uh, and, and obviously with an explanation as to why you think maybe a, a detour might be beneficial. Mm-hmm. 
Well, when it when it comes to marketing, we we really try to let the data drive us mm-hmm. because, of course, we we all have opinions of of what the best path is. But but the best way to rapidly iterate a business in the early stages is to really use the data to help us make that next decision. And uh, I I would say that that most of the the organizations, the entrepreneurial organizations that that we work with. Um, follow that philosophy and they're really well coached by organizations like the Innovation Factory to uh, uh, to follow that that type of approach, lean startup, uh, uh, kind of a growth hacking approach to their business. Well, we just found that with uh, with Paul Fowler from Mesomat, who was with us in the last segment. I mean, you know, when I talked to him last year, he said, and they were the winners, he, he had a direction. He said, I think we're going to go this way for it, and we're pretty optimistic about it. Here I, I talked to him 12 months later. He says, actually, we went over this way. You know, all of a sudden, a, a different idea, a different concept came up. Uh, that means they're going to be knocking on your door again and say, wait a second, uh, we're going this way. What do we need to do, and how's this going to impact us? Yeah, and I think it's important for businesses to always be agile that way, Bill. You've got to be open. You've got to be um, yeah, open to new ideas and new uh, solutions, new problems, because as you go along, you're going to find different uh, roadblocks or speed bumps, and you're going to have be at forks in, in the road where you're going to have to make choices. And so I would say very seldom is the path uh, clear or straight to where they want to go. They might ha- think that, but as they go along, they're going to find different things, and, and they need to be open and agile. And I think most young uh, entrepreneurs are. And I think for, for established organizations, uh, that's why we benefit as much from the partnership as the entrepreneurs do, because learning that 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 skill to iterate and pivot as required and do it rapidly is something that every organization needs to be able to do to be successful in uh, the marketplace today. And so for us, we learn as much from this partnership as I, and I benefit as much from this partnership as I believe entrepreneurs do. It's got to be an exciting time for, for your companies as well uh, to be involved in an economy like this. As you say, it's, it's very fluid, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and um, I, you know, I think there are so many great lessons to be learned from how uh, young entrepreneurs are, are uh, scaling their businesses. And, and really, we should be, um, I, I encourage every business in, in the area to think about how they can um, apply some of, the, some, of, some of this thinking to their own business, whether or not you're a 100-year-old organization or 106-year-old in our case, uh, really thinking about how do we continually iterate, how do we learn, how, we, how do we learn from data, how do we uh, uh, pivot and, and challenge ourselves to enter new territories. Just as business is very fluid these days, uh, Alex, uh, so is business law. Uh, changes with almost every federal or provincial budget. Uh, you guys have got to keep up on this. Even if the entrepreneur can't, uh, you've got to be their eyes and ears a lot of the time. That's correct. There's a great quote from J.P. Morgan, and he said, I do not hire a lawyer to tell me what I cannot do. I hire a lawyer to tell me how to do what I wish to do. And that's very much the philosophy that I and my my colleagues try to adopt, which is to say, okay, what is the direction you want to go? And let's take a look at the law and let's figure out how we can get you there in compliance, not, oh, this thing is difficult to do, so let's just stop and and give up. But with that in mind, as I say, if, if there are going to be changes, uh, 
you've pretty much got to be the eyes and ears. This is going to be an ongoing dialogue with you and, and your clients in situations like that. Absolutely. And one example of that that's happening right now is in October, there's going to be major changes in how the patent legislation is applied. The new changes have been passed, but they're coming into force. And we're actively in the process right now of advising our clients on steps they can take ahead of time to protect themselves. Are there things that they need to do now in anticipation of these new rules coming into force? So that's just one example of where we're trying to stay ahead of where the law is going. It is, as one of my law professors said, it's a moving target. So you're aiming a little bit ahead of it, or as Wayne Gretzky once said, you're trying to skate to where the puck is going to be, mm-hmm. and it's the same approach. And but I think, and I think that it's all that's the the point. It's always a moving target, and that target is moving so quickly. So to find uh, a partner early on in your in your business where you can rely on them to help you um, follow that moving target or stay ahead of that moving target is is so important because they're moving quickly. Well, that's why the business plan has to be so malleable then, I guess, because you're going to have to, as, as Alex and Chantel were saying, you, you've got to be able to pivot when, when you have to pivot and anticipate that you might have to. That's right. And, and, and as we've talked about, the more that you, you can get to know your advisors, get have your advisors understand your goals, understand your business, the better the advice is going to be and the more proactive it's going to be. So it's important to have that relationship where you're in a, a constant dialogue. So with, with that sort of work going on, I'm, I'm I'm always fascinated by the work of entrepreneurs, uh, but equally fascinated by the kind of work that, that you people do because, you know, Jan Kelly is a different organization than it was 25 years ago. Uh, Gowlings is a different organization, and, and so is KPMG. I mean, you, you've had to change with this cha- the times and with this changing economy as well. 100%. So Jan Kelly uh, has roots dating back to 1913. Russell T. Kelly Advertising yeah. was established in 1913 in Hamilton. So, Offices uh, used to be on Main Street. You I got it. You got it. So, you know, we, but, but today we, talk, we think of ourselves as a 106-year-old startup, to be honest, <laughs> because uh, the, 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 the success of our organization is fundamentally based on our ability to continuously reinvent ourselves and adapt to the changing environment. So uh, for, for us, it's it's mission critical that we remain uh, connected to entrepreneurs, to the technology and, and um, uh, innovation community because we know that in order for us to continue to succeed, we, we also need to continually reinvent ourselves. But as you've grown and as Gowlings has grown and KPMG have grown and become larger, uh, you're better able to serve those clients because those those clients' needs and, and the stuff that they're going to have to get from you as, as support are, are ever-changing. And you've got that expertise all under one roof. Well, yours, men, in the case of Gowlings, many roofs all around the world. Yes, and that's one of the things that I'm very, very proud of in our ability to help our clients is that we almost always have the right set of skills to deal with a particular issue that they may be encountering. So my primary practice area is in patent prosecution. I help my clients get patent protection for the innovations that they have developed. but. I'm not particularly skilled in setting up a corporation. That's not the area where I practice. And if that's what the question I'm asking you, you can come back and say, hey, I know a guy. Exactly. (laughs) And I've I've got my colleagues who can help you set up the corporation. And then when you need to figure out what the privacy rules are that will apply to your online business, we've got someone else who can help you set that up. We have expertise, for example, in First Nations law. So if people have issues that cross into that area, we can help them work with that. If they're looking to expand their business by franchising, we've got expertise in that area. 
area. If there's an environmental issue that comes up, we've got expertise there. There's almost no area of business law that somewhere in our firm we don't have the right level of expertise to help. And a big part of the issue is not just having the expertise, but having enough breadth to at least recognize where the issue requires referral to the expert. So I try to maintain enough of a broad knowledge to say, okay, I can't help you solve that problem because that's outside my legal expertise, but my colleague Debbie can help you work on that issue, or my colleague Peter can help you work on that issue, or my colleague Lori can help you work on that issue, but to spot the issue so that they don't get blindsided by something. Bigger is better when it comes to support services like that, as, as, as Jan Kelly has grown in Gallings and KPMG, to know that th there's expertise there. Then, and that's got to be reassuring, I would think, to entrepreneurs who a lot of the time are kind of feeling their way in through the dark. Yeah, and I think we'd like to believe that we're in a uh, regulatory environment that helps businesses grow, and to some degree we are. But the truth is the red tape has piled up and piled up and piled up. We're more regulated than we've ever been, and certainly as Alex, you know. And as a result, you need that deep expertise and in, in particular, we talked about that crossing borders and that international aspect to business these days, and there's no question that's the case. And governments everywhere are widening their tax net. They're all in need of money. There's de deficits are uh, you know a commonplace. Yeah, I've noticed that. Everyone yeah. knows. Yeah. <laughs> so every government is looking to capture more into their net, and as a result, a small business who may think, "Well, I'm just a little guy somewhere, but I'm transacting in this jurisdiction," may actually be caught and not be aware of it, and that can be a big uh, pitfall. Uh, for that business. Is that the number one concern for, for businesses that are dealing with the red tape? I would say that's that's huge for sure. It's got to be awfully yeah, frustrating for somebody that doesn't know how to navigate yeah, that. It's scary because it's they most of them realize that it's something that, that there's a there is a blind spot there um, and they're not aware of it and so they just know that okay I, I've done something there's probably ramifications of that but I have no idea what they are. I would also say access. Yeah. Um, really, that you know, um, Alex was talking about about connecting you to to people that uh, that 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 can help you, and I, I would say early on that's mission critical how do you how do you connect to the right people who can collaborate with you and connect you to the the, the next set of people that that you'll need to to help you move along on your journey and 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 there's no more um, kind of competition really we're living in a world of, of collaboration and and um, uh, it's all about just having that strong robust network so you can get access to uh, people to help you and the, the one thing I'll add that is a growing concern is there's a lot of information that is out there and it, it's not all accurate and it can sometimes lead people down an incorrect path. Ronald Reagan had a great quote when he said, the trouble is not that they're ignorant, it's just that they know so much that isn't so. And there are many, many pieces of or sources of information available online that are inaccurate or incomplete and on top of that you have a well-intentioned government that makes a lot of resources available online that you can file certain things online without necessarily understanding the legal implications and the preparation that has to go in. And sometimes people will think, oh, I've done this because I've done this filing online, but they haven't done it correctly and they may have actually made things worse by doing that. But that's that's that legal advice that's necessary. I guess the classic story I've always heard, and I've, I don't know how many times I've talked to lawyers about this, is, is those online will that you can sign you know <clears throat> oh yeah I've got that it's all fine it's gonna be fine well you if, if you didn't do it correctly you don't find out until it's too late that, so, that's you know, a great example that's when, a classic it, you know, example it, 
talk to the lawyer. Make sure it's done properly the first time. Yeah, it's, it's not about ticking boxes and yeah. saying you got something done. It's about doing it right. And the, these types of things are not things you want to, uh, you know, do-it-yourself type jobs. Well, the expertise is here for the entrepreneurs. And by the way, I'll, I'll plug for all three of your your companies. Uh, if you've been in business for 25 years, you still need this kind of expertise and help too. So you should reach out to folks like uh, like Jan Kelly, obviously KPMG, and, and of course Gowlings. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for all the great work and support that you're offering for these guys. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate thank you. it. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are live on location at the Innovation Factory in the West End of Hamilton. Uh, this is the day after the Lion Slayer competition, of course, and we uh, will introduce you to the winners <coughs> Excuse me, of uh, last night's competition in just a couple of minutes. Uh, later this hour, we're going to talk about money. Money, money, money. Where does it come from? How do you access money uh, when you're doing a startup? And we've got some folks that have some expertise in that. And uh, David Carter from the Innovation Factory and Kenan Loomis from the Chamber are, are going to join us on the show today. Right now, though, I want to talk about... Uh, entrepreneurship, uh, specifically about women entrepreneurs and the opportunities uh, that exist for them and maybe some of the work that can, needs to be done uh, to give them uh, that, that leg up as we've uh, tried to talk about with so many of the other folks that have been involved in this competition over the last number of years. Uh, and to that end, we've got a great panel here. Denise Christofferson is here from the YWCA. Good to see you again. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming in. Asha Parik is here from Frontline Medical Technologies. Morning. Good morning. And uh, Shan McGrail is uh, Miguel is rather here, the executive director of Haltech, who just got back from uh, Ireland. I just got back. It's great to be here. Yeah. Good. And how are things over in Dublin? Oh, they were lovely. <laughs> lovely. Nice and rainy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the UK for you. I'm going to start with you, if I could, Asha, and talk sure. about opportunities and, and support services. Uh, and, and whether or not that's there. I mean, it, for, for women who would want to do startups and have concepts and ideas like this, uh, is, is there a clear path? Is there that help there to try to, to move forward? Yeah, I definitely hear more and more about it now. I will say that we or I haven't really specifically pursued the avenues that are just available for women mm -hmm. um, but you know I'm definitely hearing about more programs that are coming about to help women entrepreneurs and uh, I'm from London Ontario so uh, you know there are a few things going on around there as well and uh, in this ecosystem that uh, have been have been helpful but I can't say that uh, I have geared towards that. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of those supports, mm -hmm. Denise. We were just, uh, before we started the segment on air here, you were talking about some federal uh, help that might be available in situations like this. Uh, before you can even access any of these programs, you have to know about them. So, I mean, there's exactly. got to be some education here, doesn't there? There is, and uh, you know, we're going to work really, really hard. I mean, we've been providing some form of uh, investments and support to women entrepreneurs for over 20 years, but it's they tend to be project-based funding, and so it's hard to build momentum when you're not getting consistent funding. But we're excited to tell this community, and we're going to be working beyond the Hamilton community as well, that we have four and a half years of funding to help startups. And I think, you know, I've been on this program before where we talk about the kind of supports that women entrepreneurs need um, uh, and also leverage the amazing supports that we already have in our communities and beyond. And so we look at this program to help women start up, but also leverage all the great work that's already happening in Hamilton. What's, what portal do you enter to do that, to get that information, though? Because a lot of the time people are going to say, we just found out uh, when I was talking in the last segment here with uh, Alex from uh, Gowling's, uh, about about government programs that are available and and and, and 
somebody's ears perked up. So I didn't even know that. You know, it's, 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 this is a moving target. Things change pretty quickly, especially when you talk about government funding. Well, yeah, and so substantial investment has happened across this country in women's entrepreneurship. So I think the government saw an opportunity to see our economy grow by investing in women entrepreneurs. And they saw that they're neat, they, like you, they were saying, well, we don't see enough supports. So what can we do to add to that? And so we've got funding over four and a half years where women will come in and do business planning, build networks, and uh, we then will be able to also connect them with whatever they el- else they'll need to leverage business opportunities. I, if I can just add to that, I think one of the things you brought up is really critical. The fact that you have to know that it's out there. And I would say organizations like the Innovation Factory, like what we do at Hall Tech, that's, you know, if, if you can't keep track of all of the other places to go and look for information, get connected to the regional in- innovation centers. And they've got a whole bunch of people who stay on top of what's new, what's exciting, what programs are applicable to the stage of your business. So I think that's a great first step and then within that they'll keep you connected to the right resources and that's going to be an ongoing process isn't it because as you say things change and and you're aware of the changes you're aware of new programs or maybe programs that were there and no longer there Uh, and you can uh, with that dialogue that ongoing dialogue with the entrepreneur you can make them available and and obviously keep them up to speed on that yeah and that's exactly the thing I mean as an entrepreneur and, and you can testify to this your job is getting your business going so you're focused on your your product your services growing your employees, getting out there, meeting customers. So staying on top of the programs, that's a tough thing to find yeah, time for in a day. Absolutely. So I, I go back to you know all of the resources at the innovation centers. <coughs> programs come to us, resources come to us, and we act as that hub to make sure that we connect the right resource with the entrepreneurs when they need it. When you're in, uh, in creative mode, <laughs> As, as an entrepreneur, uh, is it difficult to balance the business side of things with the, the creative side? There's definitely a balance that needs to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I will say sometimes it's easier to strike than others. Um, but that has been a learning curve for, for me. I've, I've been in this for about two years now. And, you know, that's all time management. And uh, it was it was interesting at first. <laughs> but now, you know, it's I an think, interesting choice of words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, again, things like this, trying to keep on top of programs versus Uh, dealing with the business stuff, whether it be innovation or actual business items. Um, I I do rely on things like my emails with the newsletters from places like Innovation Factory or something to say, okay, this is my quick check to see what's going on. Is there anything that applies to me or that I can benefit from and and carry on? Because I, I don't have the time to always sit there and look for things that are that are going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we've had a group in Hamilton that's set up organically that we support now through YWCA Hamilton called Femme Entrepreneurs. And so a year ago, they had about 1,800 women connected. And this is something that is happening with no funding. And we uh, we give them free space to come in and meet, and they have, and every month they do an educational opportunity. It has over 4,000 members with no funding attached to it. Mm-hmm. So we know that there's a huge opportunity and a huge need for women to connect. And so, you know, you and I have had many conversations about why don't women get into politics or what are the mm-hmm. barriers? Very similar barriers. I was going to ask you about that. What stories so, are you hearing? So very similar to women in entrepreneurial. So, you know, again, we talk about 
I'll use caregiving responsibilities. You could be opening your own business, but women are still responsible for 85% of caregiving responsibilities on top of opening their own business. Mm -hmm. Women entrepreneurs still have trouble accessing financing. Yeah. Financing. It's a huge um, uh, um, issue for women entrepreneurs. Um, the other issue, I'm drawing a blank right now that um, you, you keep you going. Well, so I, I would <laughs> add to that. The thing we hear often about a lot of women getting that business started. So the good news is, you know, the numbers have said there's only about 16% or so of women-owned businesses. And when it comes to technology-oriented, it's only about 13% that are started by women. So we've got a long way to go to kind of get those numbers even. Um, but what we are seeing is the trend is a lot of interest, especially from younger women to start businesses. So I think they're seeing some of those examples, maybe being inspired by some of the things Denise was just talking about in having a network, right? Like it's, it, cause it's all about, you know, if you can see it, you can be it, you can, hey, here is somebody who started their business. I'm gonna, you know, that dream I had or that thought I had, I can see it happen and I can tap into this network of people. So I think that, that the good news is we're seeing more happen and with the programs, investment from the federal government, organizations like Innovation Factory who are there to kind of support entrepreneurs and get things moving in the right direction um, and what you're doing at YWCA with helping those startups. Um, and then other, our focus at Haltech at the moment is now trying to get from startup to scale up. So we're starting to work with women-owned companies and women entrepreneurs. They're like, okay, you've got your business running. Now how do we get you to the next level. So I think that's, you know, all of those things are coming, but it is the challenge around finance, the challenge around uh, sometimes it's technology and really leveraging technology to grow those businesses. Um, and then there's a little bit from a, a sales enablement standpoint and kind of getting out there to scale. How do you grow that though? How do you, is, is it at the, the high school level, the entrepreneurial attitude and level? And I know it exists, yep. but it just seems as if well, we know what, what goes on in the corporate world right now, the glass ceilings and, 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 and the challenges that are facing like that. But it sounds to me as if even for those that are moving in a more entrepreneurial mood and, and fashion and want to do startups, uh, they're running into some of those same barriers. I think, I think it's really important um, that we tell the stories. Um, that inspiration for women at any level, and depending on where you are, if you're just, you know, you're, you're a young woman, you're thinking about changing a career. When you hear the stories of how other women entrepreneurs have had success, I think that we need to learn. I think storytelling is going to play a big part mm -hmm. of the work that we do, and needs to con we need to continue doing. Um, because it's, you know, we think about the Women of Distinction Awards when we do that one, once a year when we honor women. We don't tell the stories, we don't tell the history of women very well. And I think that the onus is on us, the ones who are going to be running these programs and services, to tell those stories. Yeah. If, if I could add, mm -hmm. sorry, if I could Go just ahead. add one yeah. other thing that one of the programs that Innovation Factory put on over the course of the last year um, was called the Accelerator for Women Entrepreneurs, or AWE. And if you, you can go and find it on IF's website. And there's some great things in there talking about some of those stories and the quotes coming from the women who came out to those events and talking about how they got inspired or what it made them think about or how they are now going to go out and do something different with their business because they had a chance to have that interaction. So to the point about telling those stories, it really is something that's important to women entrepreneurs. Asha? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it is a big leap. So, I mean, you, you know, and women tend to take more calculated risks. So, you know, there are still those things that are just, I think, innate to who we are. Um, but definitely inspiration is a big thing. You know, uh, I 
you have to have that inspiration and the motivation to do it, but you do have to have, like, taking the leap into entrepreneurship wherever you are in life, you know, you have to make sure you can live, right? So if that's not there, you know, I, I think women tend to shy away a little bit more from those those types of things uh, still to this day, as though, although we are, you know, uh, getting better and better at it. But uh, I also yeah. is the academic encouragement there. So interesting you say that just this uh, this year uh, at Western University, I sat on a panel with government officials because put to talking about putting entrepreneurship and uh, into the curriculum mm-hmm. more. I will tell you, I'm an engineer by trade. We did one business course in undergrad and I took two communications classes in my grad graduate studies. That's master's and PhD. That's it. There's no, there's not a whole lot going on. So, you know, I was very happy to hear that, you know, there'll be more um, inclusivity uh, in the curriculums that trying to just not push, push it necessarily, but at least give exposure to it. My first exposure to it really was in a postdoctoral fellowship. So um, I think, and but to, if your, you can, to your But if point, you can reach out to it, to young women earlier in that yeah, process. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, even when you said high school, I said, yeah, you know, why not? Because it's not like there's a, you know, a clear cut age where people start thinking about these things. Um, there are a lot, several people, um, you know, younger that, that come up with brilliant ideas and could easily take this route well because there's yeah. st- you still let's face it dealing with some societal problems here and and mindsets mm-hmm. right I'm, yes. I, I mean i don't know what kind of reaction you got from your friends when you said i'm going into engineering <laughs> what, 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 what? Yeah. <laughs> yes i do but still why not get like you're an engineer yeah, yeah. yes i am <laughs> yeah it, it's it's yeah. bizarre but that still exists and it may not be overt but it's still there oh it's still there absolutely and that's got to be problematic and that might actually act as a deterrent for an awful lot of women to say well, sure. i don't, I don't want to go through that and and it can be intimidating i mean i think part my uh education probably has helped me build the confidence to stay in this because you know i've always been surrounded by a lot of males like it's not it's not because of that right so now the same thing most of my business meetings are you know i'm i might be the one of two females in a room if that you know so yeah. well i was gonna say one of the things that i think is interesting from women in entrepreneurship around that is um when you look at the types of businesses women are starting that unique view of the world is Mm. being addressed, right? So I think that's the really, really cool and exciting opportunity is uh, traditionally a lot of the markets that women are now starting their businesses have been underserved, right? So because you have a different experience, you come at it, you see the opportunity and you go out and you can grab that market. So I think that um, there's that that's really interesting for women starting their businesses because they bring a different perspective so they see those opportunities. And then the second thing that we're seeing quite a bit of and through the Accelerator for Women Entrepreneurs and Innovation Factory, it's also the how they're making their businesses work. So, you know, everybody needs to make a profit, but, you know, they're coming at it with, well, maybe I also want to do some social good. I'm sure, Denise, you're seeing this. Is I want to make money, but I also want to help others. And I want to, you know, contribute to positive climate change um, and, and help the world, not just make the money. So they're building different kinds of business models to go with that. Well, yeah. studies have shown uh, women do take a different approach to business than men do. Uh, and in businesses and corporations that use women and actually have more women on boards of directors are more productive, more efficient, and better workplaces. Uh, so it'll and more stand- profitable. And more, that's what I mean, <laughs> which, is, which is what their bottom yeah. line is. Yeah. So, 
So why not women entrepreneurs? I mean, that's 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 kind of like the all-star lineup that you want to see in a business anyway. We also talk to women um, in our programming, and once even because we still have opportunities for women to come back and have education afterwards. It's really key for to success to to build that network around you because again, women aren't traditionally within the networks that men are, and I mean that's changing and it's growing. But having that core of people, because being at the top or leading an organization can be very lonely. And so it's really key who you surround yourself with. And so that's part of the education we provide along with confidence building and, of course, all the beginning skills to setting up a business. Um, but we, you know, we hope that we're providing a foundation uh, to go out in the community and use all our amazing resources. Uh, we're only scratching the surface here. There's so much more we could talk about, but uh, the clock is our enemy. Thank you all for being here today, and thank you, and congratulations thank you. On, on your accomplishments and, uh, and for your support for this as well. Great having you on the show. Thank Thanks. you for having us. Thank, thank you. you. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are live today from the Innovation Factory on uh, Longwood Road in the west end of the city. Uh, and uh, it's the day after the Lions Lair competition, and you're going to meet the winners of the competition uh, later on in the show today. And uh, also, uh, Keenan Loomis from the Chamber, Dave Carter from Innovation Factory are going to join us. Right now, though, we're going to talk money, uh, because uh, you can have all the great ideas in the world, but if you can't find the financing for it, well, you got problems, right? And uh, investing in some of these great ideas, of course, is, is going to be our topic for the next little while. And uh, to that end, we're pleased to welcome in our panel this day this time around, uh, Casey Robinelli, who is with Olmers Capital. Thanks for coming today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, also with us is Karen Grant, Angel One Investor Network. Hi, Karen. My pleasure to be here. And uh, an old friend, Steve McBride from Weaver Apps, uh, who knows this place very well. Uh, Steve and, and Weaver, of course, were the first winners of the Lions Lair competition way back in 2011. Good to have you here. Thanks, Bill. Good to be here. How things going for you guys? Oh, fantastic. We're up to uh, 25 employees. I think when we won the Lions Lair, we had five. Mm -hmm. uh, we were only about uh, five weeks into our business when we won the first mm -hmm. Lions Lair. Uh, so we're now eight, eight years into it. So a much more mature company. And uh, uh, the team's working fantastic. We've got some great customers uh, all around the world. Unilever, Mars, Kellogg's, companies like that, all using our software on a daily basis. So it's, it's pretty exciting for us. Are, are you where you wanted to be? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we completely changed our company. We originally started out more as a custom application yeah. develop shop, and uh, today we're products. So we have three main products, and, and that's what we sell. We don't build uh, custom apps anymore. But which, that's monetizing, though. I mean, you, you, let's face it, you're in business uh, to make money, too. I mean, that's got to be part sure. of it. And, and you're going where the market says you need to go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the market uh, is really in manufacturing for us. That's my background. I've been in manufacturing for 32 years now, so I understand it really well. I started maintenance and moved into uh, different departments, and then I sold hardware to uh, increase productivity in uh, manufacturing sites for many years, and now uh, doing uh, productivity improvements with software. So it's it's a lot of fun. Karen, when somebody like Steve or somebody else uh, entrepreneurial comes along, and and they may be in early stages of this, uh, how how do you go about deciding, oh, listen, this is worth taking a shot in? I mean, obviously, there's got to be a conversation at some stage uh, before you decide that, look, we, I think we can help you here. I think a lot of people don't appreciate what a journey and dance uh, it is between investors and companies. So Steve's company is a perfect example because back when he won uh, Lion's Lair, we looked at him, and I think the uptake was poor. It, would that be a fair statement? 
at the very first be, uh, contact. And it exactly. took, it took uh, one of our investors, members, to uh, take some time, get to know the company better, and actually decide to make an investment. And that took a couple of years, I think. And then all of a sudden, uh, this gentleman joined Steve's board, was uh, his chair for three years. Uh, more of my members got involved, invested in the company over time as they demonstrated market traction, as they changed their strategy and, and maybe with some influence for my group or not, I don't know. But, but it takes time, so it's taken eight years. Steve's company is now a sizable portfolio company for Angel One members, and uh, and it it uh, it just doesn't happen overnight. It's a long journey. What what has to happen? What what does it take to, to try to change people's minds about that? Because first impressions oftentimes are lasting impressions. Yeah, and that's that's dangerous between again investors yeah. and companies, right? So so it's it's for the founders, the entrepreneurs, to be candid to uh, answer questions honestly, to be open-minded enough to learn uh, and 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 t- think about recommendations. You can be overcoached some companies and and that's also in a danger, but it's it's picking the people that you learn to uh, get to know and trust and value their background. That's what the entrepreneurs need to do, and the investors need to learn that they can trust what this founder is telling them good news and bad news, you've got to share both, mm-hmm. uh, and just develop a working relationship. I think we're, we're, I mean, we're talking a lot about money, but I think what we're keying in on is that really the investment process is a lot about people yes. on both sides. And so from the investment side, you know, where you are today probably isn't where you're going to end up in five to 10 years. And right. so Steve's company is a testament to that. Any one of the winners I've talked to over the last number of years in this, I, and mm-hmm. I, we just ran into Paul early this morning uh, from uh, Mazelmad. He's different than he was a year ago. He yeah. had no yeah. idea he was going in this direction, and, and bingo, now all of a sudden it's a different kind of company. Yep, and, you, and, and so as an investor, you kind of have to trust that, like, is this the kind of person that um, can pivot, can think outside the box, isn't going to just hone on to that one idea? So you're, you're not just looking at a business plan, then. You're analyzing the individual. 100%. And, and I'd actually say, you know, founding team, founding members is, is almost trumps that. We've made investments where, geez, we don't really even like kind of the business they're going into, but this person has such expertise and we've been watching them for 10 years and whatever they do next, we're going to invest right. in. And, and um, we have all kinds of examples of that. And the flip side too, I'd say for, for the actual founder, it's it's equally as important as well. I mean, if you take in VC investment, this person's going right. to be on your board for, you're going to be with this person for a long time, you know, so you want to make sure that there's a good rapport. You want to make sure that the investor um, uh, has industry contacts and is and honestly just somebody you want to hang around with for the next 10 years. There yeah. is there is an analogy with, with marriage, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you literally have to go through the first contact, that coffee date, the, the, the dating period. Uh, yes, I want to now have spent, invest the time to have dinner with you. Then you get to know each other. Maybe you live together for a little while. Then they take and your money. You wait, 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 where are and, you going? And then you're married. <laughs> yeah, from the, from the company side, um, you want to pick the right investor too. And yes. in the beginning, you just want money. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. You don't care who gives it to you. 
but as you progress, you want uh, smart money. So, like our most recent event. Does, does it find you as you progress? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you have to seek it, and sometimes it finds you. Um, yeah. The most recent one, uh, our investment with um, Green Sky Capital and Mars. Uh, was a, definitely our best investment. We get uh, fantastic advisors from both uh, both of those companies, and uh, it's helped. It's really helped our company a lot. How malleable do you have to be, though, as as the entrepreneur, to to be able to pivot and and to listen to the advice from from people like this to say, you know what, I, I don't think you should be doing this. I think you should be doing this. The great because you've still got your idea and, and you've got your own vision. Absolutely, and the great thing is, uh, hopefully, you are still a majority owner of the company uh, and you can make your own decisions. But like Karen said, if you're not coachable, it could be a problem. But if you listen too much, it can also be a problem. So right. it's really taking all the information that you get from investors, from customers, from uh, you know people on your own team, uh, putting it all together and making a decision. I. I, I Maybe a, a kind of a far-fetched example, but if you watch something like Dragon's Den, and if one of those investors says, yeah, I, but I want 75% of the company, that kind of tells me that he likes the idea, but he's not crazy about the people that are presenting exactly. it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's a couple of things on that. So of all of the handshakes that take place at Dragon's Den, mm-hmm. only 3% of them yeah. actually close. So, so They it don't is, do a show about that, it though, is do television. they? No. <laughs> it's well, all television. It's not investing. Um, however... Um, there are there are workarounds on that. If you don't, I don't know why you would invest in a company that whose team you can't trust. Mm-hmm. Although we all do it, yeah. uh, I've done it, uh, and I've rooted it every time I've done it. Uh, so the 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 best case scenario is you actually invest in a group of people that you admire and trust, because you have you've got to invest your faith in their honesty, their integrity, and their ability to make a success of your, of their business, of their business. Um, if you feel that you need to, as an investor, hold on more control in the beginning, there are ways around that where you can incent the, the founder to regain more of their company as they meet, meet their milestones. Those are the mechanics that you use for that kind of a deal. But really, at the end of the day, you want the founders to be really incented to be able to make a lot of money when they're successful. Because that's how, as an investor, you're going to make money. When you have that first coffee date, though, what yes. are you what are you looking for? The idea or the or the individual? It's it's both. It's both. If if you've not had a track record with that individual, if it's that first meeting, then you're getting to know each other, right? You're kind of talking about what's your ambition, what does success look like in five years. You kind of get a you're trying to get a sense of what's driving this person. Okay, so in that process is happening Steve how how patient do you have to be because it's not going to happen right away and and you want it to happen yesterday do you sometimes you need the money to make payroll next week so (laughs) you want it to happen very quickly Uh, I mean in the beginning of our company I missed I can't tell you how many paychecks and you know some of the other founders just so we can pay our employees at at the time so um, we're on a different schedule than investors for sure. They're they're on their own schedule, and uh, you need the money right away. Slower, more methodical. Yeah, but and, but a lot because you can't make too many missteps. That's absolutely. You're right. you're looking for another job. Yeah, I mean we we do obviously have a responsibility to shareholders, which on on our end are the municipal workers of Ontario. So mm-hmm. we, we want to make sure we're doing our due diligence, and and some of it is a lot of it is the person and the coffee dates are sort of getting to know 
the person? Do they have a big idea? Or, you know, are they a leader? Um, a little bit, yes, are they coachable? But it's more like, are they keying in on something? Um, and are, is this the kind of leader we'd want to put... Uh, put money behind, but also VCs are getting smarter about the industry. I mean, VCs, I, I sort of came to venture capital late in my career, so I'm, I'm learning how these investors work, and some of the smartest, most dynamic, interesting people you'll ever meet, because you have to kind of go in and get really smart about potentially very esoteric subject matters, like synthetic biology. And they're, they're great. Like they'll, you'll see them, day one, they'll know nothing about it, but by day 15, you meet a bunch of people, and it's like they can talk as if they invented the thing. Yeah, it's, so. quite, it's quite scary, actually, how deep they can go so quickly. Yes. Yeah. To that point, I want to I'll continue with your, your analogy, if I could, okay, the coffee dates, and et cetera, et cetera, okay? Uh, <laughs> places like the Innovation Factory are the matchmakers uh, that, that try to be the catalyst, the go-between, to try to put you two together in situations like that. But separate from that, though, is there a process in, in your work, Karen, where you're actually seeking these people out? You're looking at the market, seeing who's out there, seeing where the new ideas are? Yeah, we we do that a lot. Um, and we work with, with just about all of the players in the ecosystem. So right here at Innovation Factory, we have the Forge. Mm -hmm. And the Forge is an incubator that works with companies. We have all kinds of um, activities that we do with the Forge so we get a first look at the companies that they're working with and again as investors you want to be introduced to a company early enough that you kind of wa can watch their behavior over time because you get a better understanding of what they're about and and gives you time to do some re research on the market that they're they're going into uh, or finding members within my group for instance I have 70 members well actually we're 200 now but that's another story um, where We'll look for people with industry knowledge within that sector and see if they can meet with the entrepreneurs as well and give us better feedback as ter in terms of their investability for our membership. So you as the entrepreneur, you're always under the microscope, aren't you? Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And just to expand on your question to Karen, where they look for invest investor investee companies, um, I would tell anybody to get involved with Innovation Factory because it's not just the investment part, but it's yeah. all the connections. Mm -hmm. Looking at the sign behind you here, KPMG and Gowling were the uh, sponsors in the Lion's Lair, yeah. um, which we won. So we started with them. And my original thought was we can't afford KPMG. There's this huge accounting firm and they were charging us like $1,800 a year to do our taxes and give us about a thousand hours of free consulting. Which is unbelievable. And yeah. it was same with uh, Galling when they uh, helped us with our first investment. It's like, okay, it, it would have cost you $18,000. We're going to charge you four. Things like that where they know that if they can stick with you later down the road, they're going to profit from it. So they're they're really good at, at getting you to where you need to be. And now we're paying regular price and everybody's happy because now we're a growing company where we can meet payroll and everything else. And we have this money that we can pay them. So the ecosystem around Innovation Factory is extremely healthy. Well, and I remember having conversations like that with you back in those days. So, you know, in those early days with, uh, with Weaver Apps. Uh, and I, I think that's almost a common theme I've heard from a lot of the people that have participated in Lions Lair is they, they feel somewhat, I guess maybe the word is intimidated, that I, I can't knock on that door. Those people are too big. They won't want to touch me. Yeah. Uh, where, in fact, quite the opposite is the quite case. Quite the opposite, yeah. yeah I, I think you'd find you'll always get the first meeting. And, and uh, that was the one interesting thing that I, I noticed coming into VC was just how much 
it's not an ivory tower where everybody has to come to them. Like VCs are looking. We have systems. We have tools where uh, um, um, the, some of the younger associates are out at all the events. We, yeah. we volunteer. I'm here on Fridays. I live in Hamilton. I'm here at Innovation Factory. So we're we're out there and, and you know for 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 trying to find the deals, but also just to to give back as well. Are you, are you obviously searching the workplace and searching the market? You have to, I guess, to a certain extent, have to anticipate what might be happening and look for that, those innovations, as opposed to reacting. Yeah, we uh, we constantly have the conversation about what, are we hunters or are we gatherers? Mm-hmm. And so, for an angel group, and I'm pretty darn sure it's true. Well, and I've been a VC as well, but mm-hmm. um, most deals will come to your door if they're in the market to raise money. If they know you and they know that you're you're investing, you're active, they'll come to you. But then there are the deals that you really want to try to find before they decide they want to raise money. Gives you a potential advantage of making contact, developing a relationship so that when they do decide to raise money, maybe you've had some influence on their strategy in fundraising and they'll come to you first or they'll you'll get first dibs on them almost so there's a bit of a competition mm-hmm. for for quality companies there's absolutely a competition but you can attain that and, and actually be successful in that just by hanging around this building uh you know the, the innovation factory the forge which is out right beside the innovation factory now yeah. for people that haven't been in the building in the last little while uh, and that guy on that laptop over there might be your next guy you don't know That's but right. you're you're probably going to go look over his shoulder when we finish here, but I guess you, you well, just don't know where the ideas are going to come from, And do make you? no mistake, the relationship that we have with Innovation Factory is such that when there's a there, when there's a company at exactly the right point, and I, I, I can tell you there was one where I'd been tracking the company for four years. It was actually started as technology. Then it became a company. And then I got the call from David Carter who said, it's you better call them now they're ready yeah so you that's a lot of work i mean yeah. a lot of invest <laughs> we're talking about investors a lot of it is time not just money yes well and and, and so for a company like omer's ventures we're doing it in canada we're doing it in the bay area in san francisco and we're also doing it in london so in the very competitive uh markets yeah um, but you know good good uh, good to hang around this building for sure i mean we we thematically in, in, in addition to stuff, the investments we've done thematically, we're kind of looking at the, the future of health and the future of cities and sort of deep technology. And so Hamilton's pretty well positioned. Uh, so if we're looking at that kind of stuff, other VCs are looking at that kind of stuff. As well. well, it's all part of the infrastructure that uh, that is so necessary for the success of, of things like Weaver Apps and so many others, and certainly with this year's winners as well. Uh, thanks so much for the great work that you guys do uh, and, uh, and for the support that you're giving to, to companies like Weaver and so many other uh, Winners of you know, past lines of their competitions as well. And thanks for coming in today. Great to have all of you on here. Thank great you to have thanks, Bill. Great Continue to good luck, Steve, with, uh, with Weaver Apps. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Nice offline conversation here with our next panel here. Uh, kind of a reunion. I haven't seen a lot of these guys for the longest time. It's Bill Kelly Show, 900 CHML. We are live on location at the Innovation Factory uh, the day after the Linesler Gala. And uh, we'll have the winners a little bit later on this hour. And uh, always look forward to those conversations. Joining us right now, though, to talk about the gala, to talk about the great work that's going on here on a going forward basis, uh, i got a great panel. David Carter, of course, our host here today at the Innovation Factory. Hey guys. G- good to see you, Dave. 
Uh, Keenan Loomis, the uh, president and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. Good to see you. Morning, Bill. What's the matter with your Eagles? Oh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> they won last <laughs> Come on. Two and two. Okay. Record time. They're on in record time. Two and two. Because <laughs> uh, if they'd lost, you wouldn't be here. I know. That, <laughs> That's he, right. Weeps bitterly when I'm Syracuse loses or the Eagles lose. And uh, Stuart Weldon, of course, from uh, Red Shirts Gallery and Cafe. Who is it? There are brew mics there now. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, yeah. hey, listen, when in Rome, right? I mean, everyone else is doing it. Absolutely. Uh, we'll give you a plug a, a little uh, bit later you. on in the segment here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, this is getting to be a great habit to be on here every year, Dave, for talking about the work that's going on and, and the folks that are, are jumping on side here to try to help uh, what you guys do at the Innovation Factory. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, about going forward and on a daily basis. Uh, when, when new people come with new ideas and, and you want to hook them up with investors and you want to give them ideas, uh, it, it's, it's, I'm just... I was just saying, as I was walking around here during the news break, of course, you're in a, a new location here in the Innovation Factory. You're down in the, in the, in the lower level with the forage right yep. beside you. Uh, you get, there's a buzz, almost a, a, an electricity, an energy, it, just walking through the halls here. Yeah, uh, partnering with the Forge was really, uh, really advantageous because the Forge is really about early stage startups, a lot of it coming right out of university uh, in, in um, academia. So it's neat to have them sitting at desks full time. Of course, we have the 400 customers we see every year still walking through the place. So it just feels like, you know, there's 3D printers going, there's uh, interesting, you know, things being built here. It just, it just has a real buzz now. Well, and, and I couldn't help but think that even some of the people that are sitting here at desks and laptops may be the ones sitting here as winners in, in the coming years. Oh, absolutely. In fact, there's a couple from the Forge that uh, were in the top 15. So that's what happens. Everybody benefits. Like the community benefits, business benefits. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a all ships rise in high tide, and that's great to see the way this has happened because you started when you first came to well, the city this, well, this, this, this was, was your vision. this was your place this was the vision and uh last night I, I couldn't help but be nostalgic it was the ninth one which is incredible because we never expected that uh we would be around this long i but i remember very clearly the 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 time um in innovation factories development very early on when we said we needed a, a signature event and something that could help people understand what it is that Innovation Factory does. And so, of course, you know, this is exactly it. And, and now 90 companies have gone through this. So 10 a year. Uh, many of them are, you know, now in, in located in downtown Hamilton, have, uh, you know, many employees, uh, lots of uh, investment, lots of clients. And, and so this is exactly what we anticipated. And we always knew it was going to be a long game. Uh, and and but that hopefully the the results would would really start to manifest within the first decade and and we're there and we're seeing it and I couldn't be prouder and I Dave was just giving me a little tour of the of the space this is beyond my wildest dreams the yeah. the space that you guys had up upstairs was was you know was big and shiny and new when we moved in uh, and we were in this really small office at the front of McMaster Innovation yeah. Park it was just me. And and me, <laughs> uh, for for a certain point in time, and and then you know, uh, quickly grew out from there. So congratulations to to Dave and his to his team. I know how much work goes into this, uh, this whole event and uh, Innovation Factory and and, and Jennifer Gavro and, and everybody at IF have done an incredible job. So kudos all all around. One of the key things I think, uh, Stuart, that uh, Keenan just touched on, businesses are staying here. 
uh, retention of businesses. It's it's something that a lot of folks, when they think economic development, you think, yeah, we want to attract business. Well, certainly we do, but you want to retain businesses as well. Absolutely. And uh, they seem to, a lot of the people that go through here, even if they aren't winners necessarily, uh, but they're still uh, leaning on those support services here, they want to hang around here. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and why not? I think, you know, when you think about... Um, tech industries or the startup industry and, and what they look for and where they want to set up their business and and places where they can attract good talent you know a place like Hamilton have that kind of framework for that you know whether it's a an urban downtown where you can live and work hopefully uh, some mass transit in the uh, the near future um, when are they gonna put the shovel in the ground yeah but you know outside of say Toronto which is obviously doing very well you know, there's only a few places like Hamilton where you can have that same kind of live-work lifestyle that really does attract these types of businesses. And I think, you know, the days of trying to find one big employer that somehow props up your local economy, you know, those days are gone. And I, so um, having places like Innovation Factory, The Forge, and, and, and really kind of that grassroots building that local startup economy is how we, we build you know, like the, the local economy for the future. For but sure. when you're doing something like that, and, and I th- we talked about this earlier in the program, uh, if, you, if you start out saying that this is what I want to be, this is what the conclusion, and, and let's work backwards to get that, oftentimes you're going to be disappointed and you're going to fail. I mean, I, I don't think anybody defined and said, this is what I want to see Hamilton like by 2019. But look where we are. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's like entrepreneurship. It's iterative. What's working? Yeah. Uh, you know, if someone had said uh, an important thing for entrepreneurship is lots of new cool restaurants, I would have kind of laughed at that. But then you realize how much they're picking lifestyle and they're picking, yeah. you know, uh, millennials now when they're picking a job, they aren't looking for a big brand name. They are looking for the full picture. Where do I want to live? Where do I want to work? What kind of lifestyle? Where do I want to raise my children? Yeah. You know? I mean, Absolutely. Lock Street grew mm-hmm. organically. Yes. The city did not say, we're going to make Lock Street a really cozy place and, and, and we're going to have nice shops and great restaurants. Mm-hmm. King William Street grew organically. There, there was yeah. no plan for that. It just it just stuck. James Street, yeah. same way. Well, there were little interventions, though, as well. Sure. You know, it, so well, they, that's, yeah. yeah, the city has to be there people, to help. People tell yeah. me about how Lock Street used to have, there was no stop signs and there was no parking on the side. So basically, it was a thoroughfare between Aberdeen and, and Maine, right? And uh, and there weren't a lot of restaurants, and it wasn't a great pedestrian experience, right? Yeah. And so, you know, just a couple stop signs made a huge difference there, and the ability to park on the street. James Street, as we two-way, know, two-way was, conversion. was yeah. uh, a one-way thoroughfare. And we decided at that point in time, and I always say this, why were we more visionary in the late uh, 20th century than we are now? Um, but uh, at that point in time, somebody said, you know, this is going to be very important. And it it has yielded uh, the results that it, that it has. Like, the, you know, to me, the evidence is, is very clear. But uh, that's not why we're here. That's a whole different <laughs> okay, LRT chats and yeah. uh, but, two-way streets. No, but yeah. in, in a way, we are because it's, it's, the, the, well, yeah. it's, it's building those fundamentals, yeah. putting in the, the, the plumbing, so to speak, that, yeah. that help foster. The environment that help foster yeah. uh, new economies. And it's just different to how it used to be. Yeah. And that's why I'm here. It's why you're yeah. here. It's why we're 100%. all here. But that is the, the secret sauce here, too, is, you know, the, the city behaves like a small town. So, I mean, that's where our life sciences uh, startups are thriving because we have hospitals and academic institutions that all come to the table at once. We can we can get a meeting together in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Try to do this in a large city that rhymes with Oronto. <laughs> and, uh, and you can't. You can't say we're going to get a meeting together of all the key people in these institutions you know, that summer. So when you can rally your city behind a startup that's in a fairly early phase, I think it shows that you really do have a community behind you. And the concept of an ecosystem as well. So the the businesses that were there last night, 
uh, were many of them were there from the very beginning, right? Yeah. And and they were very patient in their investing in this whole mm -hmm. thing, and and it shows. This is again exactly what's required: the ecosystem, the raw materials, the the, the livability of the city. Um, and and you said who could have seen it? Well, actually, you know, there were a number of people that were hoping that this would be the case. That yeah. There would be a ton of restaurants downtown, uh, that there would be brew pubs and and, and breweries and, and craft beer. Uh, so it, you know, a lot of people were working on it. Way yeah. back in the day, I, I can remember the late 1990s when I was on city council. I went to a conference in Boston. I've been to Boston. And I was walking down Newberry Street, and I said, this is what Hamilton's downtown should look like. Mm. Commercial here, small businesses here, and then on top of that, residential. Why can't we do that? <laughs> well, it's happened. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody said, okay, this is what it is. But those small businesses gravitated. As you say, the startups wanted to stay. Yeah. That's where my office is going to be. That's where I'm going to have lunch every day. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, I wouldn't mind living next door to this place. And and then you get somebody like Core Urban coming along saying, well, we can build that stuff for you. Yeah. And and you're right. It's, it's, it's like a great big stew, and all the ingredients are there now. Yeah, for sure. Sure, I, you know, and I, 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 what's happening here, I don't think is is dissimilar to what's happened elsewhere. I think maybe in some respects we've been a bit late to the game, and for whatever reason. But uh, you know, I think there's some great people that have maybe seen these things happening, or looking at the canvas we have in front of us, and coming up with some great ways on how we bring this place back to, to life, so to speak. And that's what's going to attract the younger generation. You know, it's it's different to our grandparents. You know, they lived a certain way, and our parents took a different approach, and then the next generations wants to live a different way again. And I think it's just being able to accommodate and, and see that as opportunity for, for, for building that kind of uh, space for young We're people. We're actually going back to our grandparents' generation. I, I was going to say the same thing. You know, that's we, we, everybody we, we went shop downtown. We went through a terrible time where we said, we want to tear all that stuff down. We're yeah. going to build stuff. Yeah. Now we're saying, no, 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 yeah. I want to keep that. Yeah. Yeah. We can do something with that. Exactly. Yeah. But guys like Stuart are actually a good indication of that. You know, Stuart uh, ran a, a, a European a business mm -hmm. for a, a large worldwide successful started as a startup now a big company and and Stuart participates now as a citizen in Hamilton saying oh I've seen these things that happened over in the UK this is what worked really well and we need to bring this to Hamilton if it was just this insular conversation of all of us that were from here trying to figure out how to do it it wouldn't work but then you get people that aren't necessarily from here but have seen what has worked in other places that are now an active participant in the community that's what's making things happen there is a bit of a European vibe isn't there downtown Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just the, like the, Paris the, on Gold yeah, Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, 10 years ago, we, you know, we didn't have pop-up patios. We didn't, we didn't have patios, for heaven's sake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or we did, but it was right beside where all the buses were. And nobody wanted to sit there. Yeah. So that we, uh, we have adapted an awful lot of that stuff. Oh, completely. I mean, I, all, all kidding aside, I mean, it's, I think Gold Park's fabulous. We have our cafe there, so <laughs> and, and we, we love it. But it's, you know, I, And I the think, address is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, but it's, uh, I, I, my, my, my point is, it, you know, Hamilton's opportunity is that, that when the, the, the downtown, let's say, was perhaps be a bit slower than it should have been and economically um, slower, you know, a lot of these buildings that, say, in Toronto would have just been bulldozed and maybe they just keep the front windows and, mm -hmm. you know, facadism or what have you. But now as, as, as um, business is coming back and investments coming back, we're also realizing that these old buildings are fantastic pieces of property and then we can do so many great things with them because they're fantastic spaces in their own right. And I think uh, we will look back as, as say, because we have all this great old architecture that we've been able to bring back to life, that's going to be a huge opportunity for Hamilton in terms of creating really interesting, unique spaces that, that make people want to be here and visit here and, and, and work here. A couple of, I want to touch briefly on the gala because you made some, some changes in it. Uh, first of all, live presentations. And as I talk to all the finalists on my show, as we've been doing ever since the, the first lines there, 
they were a little apprehensive about that. Previously, of course, it was all pre-recorded and you'd run clips for it. Uh, but it was showtime last night. How did that go? That went great. You know, um, people want a little blood sport. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, no, but our entrepreneurs have to be able to stand up in front of an audience and clearly articulate their business in two minutes. So this is a great opportunity to do it in front of a pretty passive crowd, a, a crowd that's on your side. Um, I think it, it, it goes quicker, right? So uh, if the video, this, we're talking about the video sound quality is bad on one, the crowd loses interest, they start talking at their table, and it just feels like, you know, some gala put on by a large corporation kind of thing. So everybody was engaged. It was great to see everybody sort of quiet down. We also added this notion of scorecards. So we yeah. took, you know, instead of just having a sponsor's name up, Jan Kelly and Gowling and KPMG, we said, well, you're experts in this business. I want you to do a 30-minute interview, score them on some parameters, and stack rank them just like you would have done in a, you know, beauty contest. Well, here's how they did in the talent competition. Here's how they did in this competition. Course, and Gallings was doing that, so they, they yeah. were actually. This was like report card day for them. It was, and so and then we had the investment uh, lines. Thank you again, Stuart, who got to look at that and evaluate uh, those scorecards, just like they would, you know, a due diligence effort on a company. Uh, so it wasn't just a talent show. It wasn't, you know, a best pitch show. They got looked at from a lot of different angles. Uh, and and obviously, well, we saw the success of that. But in a situation like that, um, but, but but you guys didn't know who the winners were going to be until until I, this was all done. Well, we, we, we saw a lot more information prior, yeah, obviously, than the two-minute sure. pitch. So we, we had a good idea, um, and, uh, and and so we would use some of that additional information we had to help make the decision. Um, but but to be fair, I think we that two-minute pitch was kind of the the last checkbox, if you would, to, yeah. to really put it over the top. And and I was, to be honest, really impressed because for a lot of these people, especially young entrepreneurs, this is a very new experience. And then to get on a almost a soapbox of uh, sorts in front of what, 500 people, yeah, they so, were and, very brave, and, and and just you know present your 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 what your whole world in two minutes i mean it's fantastic really and they did a great job but i'm impressed i mean when i have them on my show uh, two weeks previous to this of course they all come on and they, they do their pitch mm -hmm. there yeah. uh, they know their stuff i mean there's there's no shrinking violence there which has to be part of the success isn't it well and and that is part of the success is everybody's up their game right yeah. and, and we had some great companies in the beginning i know weaver was here yeah but you know we had some companies that weren't necessarily uh big tech entrepreneur companies and now the bar's higher and, and you sort of go, who would have made it 10 years ago or nine years ago today or would they have made the top 15? And I think that's that's the best thing about this is it's not just interesting companies on stage, you sort of look at each one and say, this could be a next employer. This the other thing I told them, each and every one of them, and of course you saw that last night too, I said, this is going to be the go-to gala every year if yeah. you're a business person in right. this community. Yeah. I said, the number of business cards that are switching hands on a situation like that, and, and past participants, of course, are showing up too because yeah. they still need that that ecosystem. Past participants participating as as now investors yeah. and yeah. sponsors yeah. of the event. Again, that was that was always hoped that, for, right? Well, that, and that's, and that's that the would, ecosystem, right? Yeah. It sounds like a buzzword, but you sort of, you know, I would say who's on stage is important, who's in the audience is important, and every one of those tables had probably a company name associated with it, and every one of those tables was relevant. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it wasn't uh, somebody that didn't have a, a vested interest in the people on stage or, or weren't looking for partners or, you know, or solutions or any of those things. So it was just amazing. Well, uh, it's great to see uh, what was a vision for an awful lot of you uh, turning out to, to be what it is right now. And, and I guess the good news here is you're not done yet. I mean, this <laughs> you're, you're growing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we really are. We've got this new space in the garage with the... Uh, I used to par literally park here. It was underground parking. <laughs> yeah. And then we got some f uh, Fed Dev money, or my McMaster Innovation Park got the money 
to build it out, and so we became a tenant down here. And honestly, I think if uh, we're talking about what the space upstairs can be, but we could probably fill, you know, a dozen companies uh, in in this building alone if we had the space tomorrow. And, and listen, I I know we're just about out of time. Uh, I mean, we did not in, in you know invent innovation and and, and incubation of, for, for businesses, but you've set a template here, and and a lot of other cities are doing this yeah. right now, thinking this is this is the way to go. Yeah. And and you know we're ahead of the curve in a lot, in a lot of ways. Well, we needed to do this to, yeah. to stay competitive. You know, and, and the the whole point when when we were starting this was Commutech is doing amazing things in Waterloo. Mars is obviously you know has has built a huge brand in Toronto, yeah. and and yeah, we might never be able to create that but we got to do something right and, and we got to keep the it, we have to, we had tom jenkins at our launch and i remember that so clearly because tom jenkins was a you know hamilton guy matt grad who had to go to waterloo and and the the point was always to to prevent those tom jenkins from leaving hamilton in the future mm. and keep them here and uh and so i think you know we've done the right job we've 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 got the template as you said and uh yeah we're starting to see the su- success and the payoff excellent Absolutely. Guys, thanks so much for this. Uh, congratulations on thanks another successful year. And uh, well, I guess planning for next year started this morning, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Jen Govro, who produced the whole thing, she gets to take, I think, the weekend off. Where, we'll there you go. Time. What a <laughs> guy. What a nice guy. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're live today on location at the Innovation Factory on Longwood Road in the west end of the city. Uh, with the winners, uh, the lines are gallant, also, of course, last night at Leona Station. And, uh, it, well, it was quite a night. Uh, Nick Bottas, of course, a good friend, uh, was the uh, master of ceremonies. And we have with us now the winners of the competition. And, and I use that term advisedly because I think everybody was a winner. Uh, and that's not a cliche. I think the community is a winner because of the innovation and the great work that's gone on here. But uh, these are the folks that, uh, that came away with the, the, the prizes. First place winner, uh, Emil Sylvester Ramos of Iris is here. Congratulations. Yes, Thank Great you. to see you again. Yep. Uh, we'll talk more about that in just a second. Uh, Cheryl Muse is here from BTX Pen. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And a double winner last night. You, the guy, you, yeah, you hauled all the hardware off, Sean. Uh, People's Choice and Hamilton Award winner, uh, Sean Snyder from Engagement Agents. Congratulations. Thanks, Bill. So what was it like last night? It's, um, it's, it's, it's nerve-wracking, but at the same time, you know, my heart's beating out of my chest when I was doing the pitch. It's my first time doing a pitch. I think Innovation Factor, you really did a good job of... of, of um, Helping us craft our story and making sure it's relatable to the uh, to the community here in Hamilton. I think we did a great job. Well, yep. clearly you did. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that's why you're sitting here today. But it's, uh, I mean, you pitch in front of the the the, the lions in situations like this, uh, and and you're talking among yourselves, etc. But to be there in front of 500 people then with a time frame, right? I mean, it's like you can't go for 15 minutes on this thing. Uh, you got to be on. You're performing, really, aren't you? Yeah, you feel like an, a little bit of an actress. <laughs> you want to engage the audience. You want to tell your story very simply and easy, especially when it's a complicated story. You have to try to work really hard to get it so that it is um, really sharp so that everybody can get an mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what your product is and, and the need it meets. Yeah. And the element to this, of course, is, uh, is <laughs> the lines are up there and the and the folks, people at KMB, KPMG, they, they know you and they know a little bit about this, but the rest of the stuff, I mean, that that crowd out there tonight, that's the first time that they're exposed to you and to your idea. So you've really, you've got like just a couple of minutes here to really sell them on this. Yeah, so we had, uh, I guess, 120 seconds or uh-huh. two minutes yeah. to make an impression and wow the judges, the audience, and even the people watching on TV or whether they were streaming it online. So I think we were all under a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, uh, pressure to perform. 
Well, and you guys obviously came through in a big way. Another change that we – I should have talked about this with David Carter when he was here a couple of minutes ago because they did make some changes uh, from past uh, gala mm -hmm, dinners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the prize uh, money that's available to you right now, uh, a lot of the prizes in the past, I'm sure you guys were aware, there was some cash involved certainly, but there were services in kind. Uh, I kind of like the idea that, that, that there's going to be money involved here because that way it's basically you guys know what you want to do, what you have to do, mm -hmm. and, and you can allocate the, the, the funds appropriately. Well, in our case, we need to certify our technology. So yeah. we were in a heavily regulated market where if you're doing uh, uh, manual, uh, if you're doing automated patrolling for cities and you're using devices that ask wireless connection, Bluetooth connectivity, you have to think about you know the effects that it will have on you know, city personnel. So that's one thing that we will do with the money. Uh, maybe for those who did not hear the interviews when you guys were with us all in studio over the last couple of weeks, uh, a little, uh, you don't have to give a two-minute shot here, Emil, but just tell the, our listeners a little bit about what you're coming to I'll be happy to, Bill. Uh, Iris is a smart city solutions company. Basically, what we do is we automate the inspection process for cities. What we, what we have right now is, you know, we're paying taxpayer dollars for city inspectors to drive around and manually catalog potholes, cracks, and other read, uh, road defects. What we're doing is we're eliminating those manual patrols with a more um, sophisticated, yet simple, uh, easily deployable IoT solution. What it is, is just a dash cam, taking videos of our roads, taking that video to the cloud, and having our AI detect potholes and road deficiencies for the city. It's, it's faster and it's cheaper. It's saving cities two-thirds of the cost today. Because those vehicles are out there anyway. Yes, sir. They're, they're driving the streets, and they then are. five minutes later, there's an inspector driving around looking for, you know, mm -hmm. as you say, things that need to be fixed. Why not have the camera in that first vehicle, mm -hmm. and the other guy mm -hmm. can just be back mm -hmm. at City Hall or wherever he what, is? What's good about this, Bill, is when I, when we do our pitch uh, to the cities, they, why haven't we thought about this before? And they embrace the idea. You would think that these um, employees, they would feel a bit of hesitation because they might lose their jobs. No, they, they're unionized. They're protected. And what we're doing, actually, is we're making sure that they are in good health. If you're driving, imagine you're driving 10 years and all you're doing is just looking out the window, spotting these bottles. That's not going to be good for your body and for your mental state, right? So there's no challenge, there's no mental. And what we're doing basically is giving them more value. And that's, and, and that's, and that's what they, and that's the feedback that we're getting for cities. Because I, I remember having discussions with all three of you guys and just thinking, why didn't anybody think of this before? Uh, and BTX Pen is a great example of that. Uh, there are so many practical uses and so many different ways that you can go with this now. Yeah, the more um, we get exposed, the more people come up to us and say, I wish this pen was available when I was doing these types of injections, mm -hmm. like infertility, or why wasn't this around when my cat had diabetes? So even though we created the, the pen for the Botox industry, it is so much bigger than that. And we just keep getting more and more exposed to um, the need out there. And then it's going to meet uh, a really big uh, void in in the market for sure. Well, because what you've allowed here is, is so many people that are using these these tools these days, and, and I've talked to people, for instance, uh, diabetes and things of this nature that had to self-inject in the past, and the needles are cumbersome, you got to worry about dosage, uh, did mm -hmm. I put too much in it? Uh, this, this is all done. It's all looked after. Yeah, it's the only device that's open, so yeah. the injector can fill it with whatever product they need to fill it with. Whereas all the devices now are closed, which means they're filled by pharmaceutical companies. So this is a, a brand new device in the world. There isn't one out there. So well, there is now. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and, and Sean, with your business, I mean, I'm, I'm, again, I'm sure retailers all over the place are thinking, wait a second. Yeah. You find a more practical use for, for every dollar that these people are investing in their businesses. 
Yeah, so our quick pitch is that we help retailers take advantage of all the marketing opportunities that they're paying for within their leases um, that they don't take advantage of because it's just too time-consuming, complex, and cumbersome to manage. And we've got a software solution uh, called Engagement Agents, which makes it easy for them to do so. And, and as a result of that, of course, uh, well, let's face it, a lot of people were probably spending money on promotion and advertising that they didn't need to. Uh, yeah, there's a good chunk of probably a lot of advertising out there where they always say over 50% of it works, but nobody knows which 50%. Uh, so our platform makes it easy for retailers to help uh, sort of track and attribute those dollars that they're already spending, again, through their leases to drive more traffic and sales and help them save money, time, and resources. When, when you approach clients and talk to clients and explain this to them, is, is there a, a surprise look when you say, well, have you thought about using this vehicle instead? Of uh, what you've been doing for the last 10 or 15 years, maybe? Yeah, there is. Uh, the biggest challenge that we have is, I think, um, unfortunately, retail industry, like most companies, are very siloed. So a lot yeah. of the retailers' left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, unfortunately. So I think those walls are coming down. Um, but all the retailers so far that we work with love it. And uh, most of the time, it's we always hear, where have you been all our lives? <laughs> well, uh, again... Uh, You've been here. This is where the ideas are born, and this is where the ideas are are, are fostered, and this is where they start to grow and because of the support services. And and I've talked to all of you individually about that, but I want to get your thoughts about going forward, uh, what what you see happening, and and your relationship here with the Innovation Factory and and the other support services, whether it's KPMG or Gowlings or any other places like this. I mean, you you guys wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. Mm-hmm. And and, and you're you're not saying, okay, I've won. That's it. I'm buying. I'll leave you now. Bye. Uh, this is this is going to be an ongoing relationship, I would imagine. Um, I'm glad you asked that question, Bill. There's certainly a bright future here in Hamilton, and we're seeing that the government is being more involved. The the the, the how Innovation Factory is, you know, helping engage the government and also the stakeholders. I see that you know there's going to be a huge change how we manage our public infrastructure. So, so that's a bright uh, thing that we're hoping for in the future. And, and multi-uses too. I mean, you know, we talk about innovation and what are we all about and what's 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 our what's our brand here in Hamilton. Uh, I don't know if you can put your finger on it because I mean, you've got three winners right here with three very different ideas, uh, yet all the same result as as winners here and as uh, going forward. You know that you've got that that infrastructure to uh, to, to lean on, to, uh, ongoing support. Yeah, whenever wherever we were on the stage of developing, going from just having an idea to actually having a solution, the Lions, um, the uh, Innovation Factory, is, it brought a mentor each step of the way. And my journey is not complete either. And I just keep getting different mentors that help us with different parts of um, our process to help us keep going. So, I mean, I'm a nurse. What do I know about developing a product, right? So. You know, they just brought a lot more me right than you through. did probably a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they just brought me right through. And you did it already. Yes, I know. And we actually have more ideas that we want to start to developing as well. So, I don't think we'll ever leave the innovation factory. I think we'll be here for years. No, no, no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and again, to know that those companies, those companies with that kind of a reputation, uh, and world-class companies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like KPMG and Gowling, yeah. to know that that they're a phone call away, Sean, if you need them. Yeah, I mean, Innovation Factory, I'll, I'll start off by saying, has been great. Uh, I've been a long-time client uh, and lover of whatever they've done uh, with even some of my previous businesses, and they've been there to support me all the way. Uh, and in terms of the businesses, I mean, even last night uh, with some of the attendees at the event, I mean, there was a lot of great uh, conversations and opportunities to come out with it, and I'm sure we'll be 
building more relationships with uh, fellow High Milton companies uh, for some time. You've been using Innovation Factory, as I mentioned when you did the uh, the interview with us in the station a couple of uh, days ago now. Uh, and, and you're a classic entrepreneur, uh, where you come up with new ideas. Okay, uh, this was great, and that, that company's doing very well, but I got this idea now. Uh, and, and of course, you're a winner, once again, with engagement agents. Where do you see yourself, or do you know where you're going to be three, four, five years down the road here? Because uh, this company's obviously going to be very successful. Thank you. Anybody uh, who's in marketing and, and retail is going to say, wait a second, this, this is going to help me. So. You, you don't know where that's going to take you, although it's probably going to be a very good place. But but you don't know what tomorrow's idea is going to be either. No, uh, I mean, we're, we're, very, we're very focused on what we're doing, uh, and we're passionate about what we're doing, so we're sticking to uh, that focal point. But uh, every day, I think, as all of us here can say, is a new adventure, and don't know what tomorrow holds, but I think we're all excited about uh, moving the businesses forward. The other thing that I've found when I talked to some of the past winners who have been here with us today uh, is... is how flexible you need to be mm-hmm. uh, with marketplace, etc. In other words, you've got a great idea, uh, and, and already you're getting uh, okay. Wait a second, I can take it this way now. Okay, so you have to be ready. I guess the, the business term is to pivot, and and to say, wait a second, there's another road I can go down here that's, that's going to enhance this business. Yeah, you have to develop those ideas too. When they come to you, you just can't let them go by. You've got to look at them and say, okay, what does that mean for for our our product, and make sure that we are. Um, exploring it to its fullest so that it's you know it, it gets used that way you know and we can meet those needs and with new technologies uh, I mean you've obviously got you you've got to keep your eye on the market and, exactly. and know what's going on out there and say okay how can uh, that's new can that help me well Bill what, what's happening right now is cities are focused on what we're doing in, in Hamilton innovation factory and and the Lions there has helped us you know uh, bring that um, awareness out right so we have to capitalize on the momentum we have the city of Guelph right now who's onboarded with us as well in other cities and we're thinking you know that we can grab the the, the Ontario market as, as as soon as we can and that's what we're doing well listen <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure you guys have noticed cities are under a huge financial pressure these days mm-hmm. uh, there's not a whole lot of money coming from the federal and provincial governments mm-hmm. so municipal municipalities are kind of left to their own devices oftentimes uh, and they've got to find I hate to use this word finding efficiencies because it's actually got kind of a negative <laughs> connotation that usually that usually means a bad thing but this is finding efficiencies in a good way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is spending tax dollars wisely for a more efficient first of all it's a more efficient system exactly. and it's a less costly system mm-hmm. well once they onboard their solution it's in- instantly measurable right so they can see results right away yeah. or else they can you know just just go back to the manual patrolling which wouldn't be erratic uh, which wouldn't be eliminated basically it's just on the side until you know they have adopted our full solution and then we then they have uh, consi- uh, constant uh, data that, yeah. they, that they can get from road networks. And, and again, in, in your situation, Cheryl, you look at what's going on here, uh, the possibilities are really limitless in, in the medical field for what you're doing. It, it actually amazed me. I mean, I, I was so focused on, on developing it for Botox, I didn't even think of any other avenue for it. But then it just, it, every time you think of one, there's another one. So it's kind of exciting. And People seek you out when you're in a situation like yeah. that. When you got a, a, a great idea, which is more than an idea now because you've actually put this into play, uh, investors, other people, I mean, they're, they're going to be knocking on your door now because obviously they want a piece of a good thing too. Uh, 100%. So I think that was part of the uh, opportunity for all of us yeah. at Lion's Lair was to get in front of whether it's um, angel investors or probably even maybe some corporate opportunities that were in the audience, um, not to mention people watching on TV or streaming, 
um, and even having the opportunity to speak with you on the uh, mm-hmm. CHML is a great yeah. opportunity for mm-hmm. us to get yes. the word out about what we're doing. Definitely. Oh, and that's one of the things I, I was, think was a, such a big hit about who doing the live presentation. I know it might, might have been a little unnerving for you as it was going on, <laughs> but that's that's an audience. So those are potential investors sitting out there. Mm-hmm. And I got to imagine that if it hasn't already happened, it will happen that some of those people are going to be on the phone to you and say, hey, I saw you at the competition. Let's talk. 100%. Yes. Um, I mean, I've, I was on Lion's Lair six years ago and some of the same things happened. So, I mean, I Right. Yeah. Do you have a little bit of uh, history and experience as I guess <laughs> maybe being a bit of a ringer with it, but uh, no, no, no. a new adventure this time and really grateful for the opportunity. And again, that's that's spreading the word. I mean, we always talked about how, how do we get the word out there? Mm-hmm. And you've got those support services, of course, from people like uh, Jan Kelly and others that are, are going to be there for you and offer you that kind of support. But you never know where the next investor is going to come from. And it might, as I say, be somebody last night that says, you know, I, Let's not only let's talk, but hey, I got an idea, and you don't know what's how this business is going to grow and, and what's going to happen as a result of that. I mean, it opens up doors that you might not be able to open yourself. So people hear about you and say, I have a contact that you need mm-hmm. to talk to. And when yes. you follow up with that contact, it opens up a door that um, you've been waiting for. So that's kind of exciting that way. Well, I'm looking forward to, to next year already, I'll tell you, uh, when we do the show again and, and we talk to the investors. Uh, because one of the highlights of when I do the show here, of course, is always talking to some of the past winners. And and what's great about that, for instance, Paul Fallow is here today from uh, Masomet, who was last year's winner. And it was amazing to hear his story that he's actually kind of taken the company in a totally different direction than he thought he was going to go a year ago when I was talking to him. Uh, and again, I guess that's that's anticipating the market, reacting to the market, uh, and, and, and being able to switch around and change and, and say, well, I can adopt that. Uh, and as you talk to some of the folks like from Angel Investors about this, uh, they're watching. I mean, you know, as you said, Sean, the relationship does not end. Uh, and they're tracking what you're doing. And, and as a matter of fact, the more successful you become, as you know from past experience, uh, the more investors want to say, hey, listen, I know I wasn't on side with you before, but I kind of like what you're doing. I kind of like what you're, the success that you're achieving here right now. Uh, let's talk about that. And that's really, I, I, I guess, a very organic way to get your company to grow. Yeah, I think it's kind of, as you were saying, Bill, the, the art of the, the pivot, if you will. And uh, I think one thing, again, generally speaking with a lot of businesses is uh, for whether it's investors or potential investors is keeping them up to date. And I think Karen was saying this earlier, keeping them up to date on the good and the bad and having those open and honest, transparent relationships. Well, uh, a happy ending so far anyway, but uh, this is only the, this is not the end. This is the uh, the end of the beginning. It is the beginning. <laughs> Congratulations again, guys, and, and uh, continued you. good Thank luck. You. I look forward to talking to you in the future, but uh, your current and future successes. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks. Thank you. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.